0: Well, we are doing a more theological sermon series on what we believe and why it is important. Uh, we've been looking at the Westminster Confession of Faith and the Westminster Catechism coming out of the mid-1600s. This document, from which our church gets its namesake, was set up to be able to teach people doctrine, to teach, teach people truth in the church, to help bring unity when there was a lot of division and disagreement and conflict. And I think if you look at our world and our church today, it's needed now more than ever. And so I think it's important that we reflect on some of these deeper truths and why they're so important. So today we're going to be reading a few of these from the Westminster Catechism. Uh, You have a yellow sheet in your uh, bulletin, or you should. We're going to be reading questions 70, 72, and 74. Uh, these were written in such a way that they were, they were meant for catechesis. For, for, they are a, a catechism. Which means these are things you would memorize if you were going to, to join the church. And there's shorter ones aimed a little more for children. And there's longer ones aimed more for adults. So they answer key questions of the church. And, and we're just going to do again questions 70, 72, and 74. I'll read the question and we'll read the answer together. Question 70, what is justification? Justification is an act of God's free grace unto sinners, in which he pardoneth all their sins, accepteth and accounteth their persons righteous in his sight, not for anything wrought in them or done by them, but only for the perfect obedience and full satisfaction of Christ, by God imputed to them and received by faith alone. Question 72, what is justifying faith? Justifying faith is a saving grace wrought in the heart of a sinner by the Spirit and Word of God, whereby He, being convinced of His sin and misery, and of the disability in himself and all other creatures to recover him out of his lost condition, not only assenteth to the truth of the promise of the gospel, but receiveth and resteth upon Christ and his righteousness, therein held forth for pardon of sin, and for the accepting and accounting of his person righteous in the sight of God for salvation." Question 74 What is adoption? Adoption is an act of free grace of God in and for his only Son, Jesus Christ, whereby all those that are justified and received into the number of his children have his name put upon them, the Spirit of his Son given to them, and under the fatherly care and dispensations admitted to all the liberties and privilege of the sons of god made heirs of all the promises and fellow heirs with christ in glory we'll look at these themes through the book of ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 through 10 and you were dead in your transgression or your trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world made us alive together in Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places of Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God not a result of work so that no one may boast for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them when I wrote this sermon before I left on my trip I intended to just sort of walk through this outline But really, I'm not going to do that. So you can have that to look at later. I'm going to reference it one time in the sermon. But really, I just want to talk about this text from Paul. Because i got to be honest with you. Sometimes Paul drives me a little bit crazy. I mean, it's almost like Paul has a little touch of the melodramatic here. We were dead in the trespasses and sins. Dead. Paul uses the word several times in the text. Does it seem like a strong word to anybody else? Dead? I don't feel very dead. And I, I, before I came to Christ, well, I was five, and I really didn't feel that dead then either. Dead seems like a strong word to me. I mean, if you want to talk about how dead the world might be, I mean, I can look out at the world and know that it's broken. Things like Boston, things like shooting in Texas. Doesn't take a lot to convince me that there's something really broken in the world. But, but this isn't talking about the world. This is talking about death in me and in you. Seems a little melodramatic to me. I, I just, I don't know. Dead? I mean, I've really never even done that bad of stuff. You ever feel that way when you hear people's testimonies? I hear testimonies where people are like, yeah, I was doing drugs and I was drinking a lot and I was sleeping around and I was, and then God saved me. And I look at my life and I think, well, I smoked a cigar before, I had a couple beers, I guess. I don't, I got a pretty boring testimony i got a really boring testimony. I don't tend to give it that much because I think it's just kind of boring. I, I really wasn't that dead to begin with, I don't think. I mean, we don't, we don't even like talking about death. We, we keep the topic away from us anymore. Have you ever noticed that? How many people know that they should probably have wills, but they don't because getting a will would admit that someday you really might die? People don't want to go to funerals anymore. People will go to the dinner, but they won't go to the funeral. I mean, it's true. Do you know, how many of you remember when you used to have a parlor in your house? Anybody remember when you had a parlor in your house? Well, it used to be that your living room was called your parlor. And it used to also be that you didn't have funeral homes. So when someone in your family died, you would put them in your parlor. So family would gather, your friends would come to say their goodbyes, and then after a couple of days, then you would take the person and you would bury them. But in our culture, we have such an aversion to death that these businesses started coming up called funeral parlors. So you didn't have to have the body in your house anymore. You could go have it in a house that was made specifically for hosting these kind of events. And eventually, no one was having a body in their house. I mean, could you imagine? We're going to have viewing hours, but we're going to do them in my living room. It would be weird today, even though that was how it normally was. And eventually, people stopped wanting to even call the room in their house a parlor. And so we changed the name over time to living room, so that nobody calls it a parlor anymore. That's how far away we want to keep ourselves from death. We put so much effort into medicine and into doctors, that do you know, I heard a speaker this week was talking about how we as pastors are working with the children of the 22nd century, that the the likelihood is that the youth in our church are going to see the next turn of the century. Have you ever thought about that? That's how long life expectancy is becoming. We don't like this idea of death. We don't like to talk about death. We don't ever like to admit that we're going to die. And I think it's because deep down, don't we all sort of know that there's a part of us that's dead already. A part of us that's not really alive, that's broken. But maybe some of us have some boring testimonies. But we know in our minds, the things that we think when we're around certain people, we know the bitterness and the anger and the self-hatred that we hang on to. Deep down, I think we know, even though we don't want to admit it, we go out of our way to spend money, to make ourselves feel better so that we don't admit it. But deep down, we know there's something wrong with us. There is some sort of dead within us. It's against our culture. We don't like to, we don't like to put that. If you watch most commercials right now, they're also they're sort of anti this death and brokenness uh, theme. I mean, the whole thing is, if you use our dish soap, you're going to be happy. You use these, if you drive our car, you're going to be the kind of person that drives that car. You're going to be happy. I mean, commercials are totally written to try to get you involved in a story that's not your own so you don't have to admit how bad your life can be. If you want to really understand this, watch commercials today or whenever you watch TV this week and watch how many commercials today don't even have words in them anymore. They're exclusively stories. No words, except at the very end where they tell you what the product is. And you know what? Most of them, if you turned the volume off and you didn't watch the last five seconds of the commercial, you would never even know what they were trying to sell you. Because they're not really trying to sell you shampoo anymore. They're really trying to sell you this happiness, this satisfaction, this idea that you are not dead, there is nothing wrong, or that you can at least keep up and believe that appearance. But the problem is, if we can't admit that we're dead, it's hard for us to admit that we need a Savior. The more alive I can make myself believe that I am without Christ, the more I don't really need Christ. I might need a doctor. I might need a fixer-upper every once in a while. I may need a mechanic to get my life working again, Jesus. But I don't need a Savior But if we're dead, i got news for you. Dead people do not save themselves very often. Dead people do not fix themselves very often. I think Paul's metaphor is important because we need to admit we are dead because if we don't, we don't really need a Savior. But if we can start to deal with the reality that we're dead and that we're going to die someday, something unlocks for us. A hope that the world can't understand until they deal with the reality that they're dead. A hope that while we were still dead, still dead in our transgressions, still separate from God, still not following what we know we should follow, God enters our death. He enters our humanity. He enters our brokenness. He even dies for us. And so God gives us this favor. This favor that we didn't earn. How could we earn it if we were dead? This is really important. You cannot go to church enough to save yourself. You can't go out and feed enough poor people to make up for who you are and your rebellion against Jesus Christ. You can't go out and do enough good things you can't feel good enough about yourself. You can't pray enough. You can't read your Bible enough. None of that saves you. Because you were dead. And dead people don't save themselves. No, it's a gift. It's called grace. Grace means God's unmerited favor. It's a gift. A gift that not only do you not deserve it, but actually you deserve The opposite of it. Let me say that again. Not only do you not deserve God's love and God's grace, but if we're really dead, we deserve the opposite of God's grace. We deserve God's wrath for rejection of Him, for not following His will. And yet, Jesus comes. See, this this can be confusing because one of the things we say in the church is we say that we're saved from sin and from death. But we all know, even though we don't want to admit it, that the day is coming. I mean, the day doesn't mean actual death. We still die. But, but when we're saved from death, we're saved from this eternal spiritual death. That our death is not the final act in our play, but that God has more for us. Become, this becomes ours by our faith. Faith. Faith is not just believing. Faith is belief in action. It's really associated with hope. Having a hope, living life differently because we believe it. Now this is sometimes hard for us as Christians to explain. I mean, if you had to go and explain what Jesus has done for you, this, we wrestle with this, right? We don't know how to do it, and so oftentimes we shy away from telling people. But, but look in this, on this sheet. There's a big section there called How Does the Bible Talk About This? And I I found this interesting. I I had a lot of fun actually writing this down. Did you know there are a ton of different metaphors that the Bible uses for this idea of salvation? A bunch of different things that the Bible says Jesus does for us. Justification. He gives us a verdict. Ransom. Buys out of slavery. Redemption. Pays for or gives a debt of purchase. Pardon. He forgives us. Sacrifice, He gives Himself for us. Atonement, to pay with a price. Propitiation, which means to appease God. Imputed righteousness. That's a cool phrase, but what it really just means simply is, God gives us righteousness when we didn't have it already. Washed clean, coming back to life, rebirth, reconciliation. I mean, the Bible has all these different ways of trying to talk richly about what God does for us. For some of us, maybe some of these feel more real. Maybe ransom makes sense to you because your life felt like slavery for a time. Maybe appeasing God. You did all this stuff to try to make God happy and finally you figured out that Jesus could do it. Maybe washed clean, rebirth. Adoption is my favorite. Adoption is my favorite metaphor in the Bible about Christ saving us. I think the reason is because I have a little brother named Gideon. Some of you have met him. He's been here before. has Down syndrome. But he is not my biological brother. He's adopted. And my brother was uh, born. His, his birth mother was a, uh, was a school teacher. Uh, and his, uh, his birth father, I think, was like a lawyer or something. He I mean, very sort of intelligent, successful people. They had already had a couple of kids who were also very bright. And the idea of having a boy with Down syndrome, just, they didn't want that. They couldn't accept that. Now, I'm so glad that they didn't choose to abort my brother because they would have been aborting one of the greatest blessings I've ever had in my life. But they gave him up. Loved him, but not enough to keep him. Wanted him, but not quite how he was. And so my little brother came to live with my family, and he's been my brother since then. We brought him in, part of the family. He's—he looks like our family. He was adopted, from unloved to loved, from unaccepted to accepted. This is my favorite metaphor in the scriptures for how Jesus saves us, because I saw it in my brother, and it's how I feel too. That even though I was dead and I deserved nothing from God, not that I did that much bad, but just that that was my orientation. That was my thought life. That was my drive in my world was for me at the expense of others. That God has pulled me back and accepted me as a son. That when Jesus goes to be with the Father and and the Father wraps His arms around Jesus, we ride on the back of Jesus. we are accepted as a son or a daughter. That's what Jesus does for us. Why does He do this? So that we can do things for Him. So that He can use us to share with others all these great things that Jesus has done. For good works, the text says, which God prepared for us to do. Can you imagine if you were dead. you ever met somebody who had a near-death experience? Or an after-death experience? They want to talk about it all the time. I mean, if that was you, if you died and came back to life, wouldn't you want to talk about that? Could you ever live your life the same way again? Could you ever approach your friendships the same way? Could you ever think about just sitting and vegging in front of the TV again the same way? I want to tell you this morning that that is your story. That you were dead and you have been brought back to life. And whatever else you have going on in your world, it's not as important as that. And whatever you think people are going to say about you, if you start telling them that story, fails in comparison to the reality that you were dead and you are now alive. That's your story. That's my story. And we've got to get good at telling it we got to get good at sharing it with others. Because we got a lot of other people in this world that need to hear. They need to hear that they're dead. They need to deal with the reality that they're going to die. And they need to know the hope that can come from being made alive in Christ, being adopted. So I don't know which of these metaphors works for you. But I would challenge you to take a look at some of these texts and start thinking about what Jesus has done for you. Because I'm I'm willing to bet that one of these is going to connect with you. Maybe you like the idea of adoption. Maybe that makes sense to your story. But, But maybe it's redemption. Maybe it's rebirth. Whatever it is for you, start practicing telling your story. And get ready to tell your neighbors and your friends. Not that you have to be that person that always wants to talk about Jesus. There's... Those people are uncomfortable, right? You, you know those people. But honestly, just being willing to, when you get to know someone, and you have a deep friendship, don't, don't you want to get to know who they are? What if this was such a part of who you are, that if they were going to get to know you, they'd have to hear your story? Is it a main part of who you are? Learn to tell this, because it's a great thing that Jesus has done for you. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our hymn is number 519, It Is Well With My Soul.